0: Welcome to The World in Ten. It's your daily roundup of the biggest stories from across the world, written by our correspondents and contributors at The Times of London. I'm Jenny Barsby. Coming up on today's edition, Andrew Tate gets out of jail and straight back on his weapon of choice. The Pope gets out of hospital and straight in his Popemobile. And is AI going to kill off chess as we know it? We start today's podcast with a man who divides opinion as much as, well, Donald Trump, controversial influencer Andrew Tate. After 92 days in a Romanian prison over allegations of human trafficking, rape and forming a criminal gang to sexually exploit women, Tate, along with his brother Tristan has been released under house arrest. Both deny the charges against them and Tate told reporters on his release that he's convinced the truth will out.
1: I truly believe that justice will be served in the end. There is 0% chance of me being found guilty of something I have not done. I maintain my absolute innocence and I think most people understand this and uh,
0: I look forward to uh, being home. So why is this man, whose unapologetic misogyny and brutish videos on social media promoting violence against women, been allowed out of prison now. Andrea Arkip is the editor of Libertate. It's a daily newspaper in Romania, and she told me why. In the
1: Romanian case law, the decision to release from jail arrest and to fix house arrest is not a ruling on the essence of the case. So at this moment, we know that the release has nothing to do with the accusation that that, uh, Tate brothers are facing, meaning sex trafficking and rape. The judges decided that after three months in which they were detained, they can be investigated under house arrest. It's very important to underline that the judge's reasoning for the release has not yet emerged, but usually the persons in arrest are released from prison custody when it is thought that they uh, are no longer a danger to themselves and others and cannot influence further the investigation.
0: Now, schools in the UK are actually coordinating lessons about why Tate's messaging is dangerous. Yet despite this and being under house arrest, he's now able to use his phone, described in the Times as his weapon of choice. Now, unsurprisingly, the first thing he did was upload a video of himself, pacing topless, loud music blaring and smoking a cigar. Among his first retweets, get this, women who post on Instagram belong to the streets. The Times of London asks today what might happen next. The pace of law in Romania is painfully slow, so if the brothers are charged, it certainly won't be any time soon. The police investigation itself will be reviewed in 30 days, when the Tates will either be charged, released or held for further time. In the meantime, Tate is free to continue to share his misogynistic views and hyper-macho image with his legions of fans on Twitter, Unless, of course, Elon Musk decides to do the right thing and bans him again from the platform. Now on Thursday's podcast, we discuss the Pope's health and whether he would be well enough to conduct today's Palm Sunday service in Rome. The pontiff, who's actually 86, was admitted to hospital last Wednesday with breathing difficulties and eventually diagnosed with bronchitis before being discharged yesterday. Yet despite this, he's managed to attend a Palm Sunday service in St Peter's Square.
1: In nome del Padre, del Figlio and Spirito Santo. Amen. La pace sia con voi.
0: The Times Rome correspondent Tom Kington says it has been a worrying time. He confessed that there have been a number of obituaries written just in case, but that the Pope wants to play as big a role as possible during Holy Week.
1: They've already said that he will celebrate the Mass on Holy Thursday. Then there's Good Friday when there's a procession around the Colosseum. I don't think he'll be uh, uh, taking part in that, uh, or at least if he's he's there, he won't be actually getting up and, and going on the procession then there's another Mass on Saturday, then there's Easter Sunday. I think at this rate, if he holds up, we'll see him at each of those without him actually celebrating the Mass. So he seems to have um, set out his stall saying, "Um, I'm there, I'm back, Um, let's get on with it.
0: Now, for years, the Polish community was one of the largest migrant communities in the UK. But since the Brexit referendum, the number of Poles living in Britain has sharply declined. I'm joined now by my colleague, Amy Gill. She's been looking into this. Amy, how big is the drop in numbers? Well, it's bigger than you may think. We're talking just over a quarter of a million Polish
1: people leaving the UK from 2016 to 2020. Now, the reason for the huge migration figures are quite complex. You mentioned Brexit, Jenny, which was the catalyst, but not the only factor. Matthew Campbell has written about this in the Sunday Times today. He interviewed a range of people from Poland's former UK ambassador to Poles who had returned back home. And I was able to sit down with him, and he told me the reasons behind people's journeys. There were a number of
0: factors at play. Um, Firstly... A lot of us in this country, when Brexit happened, uh, saw it as an opportunity to go back in the sense that they had been planning to go back anyway. And they felt that this was a good excuse to go in a sense that, oh, well, they don't want us here anyway. We might as well go back now. I think a lot of other people um, at the same time felt uh, that they were alienated uh, from the society that they'd, that they'd grown used to. But I think just as important a factor was the pandemic. Uh, The Poles are very family oriented, and a lot of them were desperate to get back to their families in Poland during the pandemic. So as
1: I said, Brexit is only one factor. Another reason is the prospect of the Polish economy. Matthew told me this was a big allure for some of the people he interviewed. Now there's sort of a role reversal where Poland, not the UK, is seen as the land of opportunity which is really interesting, and who knows what this will mean for the future of the UK and Poland. For now, though, I would suggest taking a read of Matthew's piece, which is up on the Sunday Times website.
0: On yesterday's podcast, we teased Anthony Joshua's heavyweight fight with Jermaine Franklin in London and the changes he'd made to his training regime, which he said had given him the mindset of a prisoner. Well, it appears to have worked for your winner, by unanimous decision, Anthony Joshua! Well, the win was a big deal for the British fighter, who wanted to put two consecutive defeats to Ukrainian Oleksandr Yusick behind him. But the manner of the victory doesn't seem to have impressed, with The Times' Tom Kershaw saying it failed to convince leaving just as many questions to answer if Joshua wants to reclaim the titles and glory lost. And after the 12-round battle, Joshua too admitted he wanted that knockout.
1: Yeah, I am a bit disappointed because it wasn't a knockout. It wasn't a knockout. And I feel like the fact like the people are bored of 12-rounders, man. Do you know what I mean? They're bored of 12-rounders. It's annoying. <laughs>
0: Tom Kershaw concludes that the clamour might remain for a bout against Tyson Fury later this summer, but on last night's evidence... He thinks Joshua would be better served to rematch his old foe, Dillian White. Artificial intelligence, it seems to be in the news constantly at the moment, from essay-writing chatbots to Ada, the first robot to speak to the UK Parliament, and now, well, it's taking the world of chess by storm – Before you start dreaming up an Arnold Schwarzenegger-style chess terminator, what we're actually talking about here are computer programmes that can predict and generate chess moves. In a piece in the Sunday Times today, Ralph Jones explores the debates around the use of this AI in chess. Today's players are even better than the players in the mid-20th century because of AI, but it's taking out some of the style uh, of the game, according to some of the people I spoke to, And it's also obviously making it easier to cheat. As Ralph said, the prospect of cheating using these chess programmes is the biggest danger, and it's not just for online chess. Players have been caught sneaking their phones into over-the-board games and consulting these chess programmes to help beat their opponents. Luckily, though, the game is becoming much faster, and in these rapid games, players have up to 15 minutes rather than 90 to decide their moves. So with shorter games comes less opportunity to sneakily check a phone.
1: There's talk that the World Championship is going to be faster in future. That's one aspect. And the other is that there has to be better detection of
0: cheating online. Ralph concludes the reports of the death of chess seem to be over-exaggerated. He believes the game will continue to live on in ever-changing forms until the day we humans stop making mistakes. And, well, that day isn't coming any day soon. To read Ralph's piece and all the stories covered on the podcast today, why not take out a subscription to The Sunday Times? And that's it for today's World in 10. We're back tomorrow.